We're in a series, it's a four-part series. The title of this message is Identity Crisis. And, uh, excuse me, the title of the series is Identity Crisis, and the title of this message is Details. Psalm 139, in a moment we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Well, many of you know that I like old cars. I'm not really a car guy because I don't know how to work on them. I don't know how to, to fix them, but I do appreciate them. I appreciate cars of the past, cars of the present. I appreciate sports cars. I once had a Triumph TR6, a 1970 Triumph TR6 with uh, dual SU carburetors. I have no idea what that means, but it meant two of something. I got that thing tuned up in Gallatin, Tennessee, and took it out on the interstate. And before I knew it, I was at 135 miles an hour in that Triumph TR6. And then I had this thought, how close my backside is to the pavement. So I slowed it down greatly and uh, didn't drive that fast again until I drove the Richard Petty experience in Daytona. And I got a little faster than that there, 153 actually. One of the programs that I record on DVR is Chasing Classic Cars with Wayne Carini. He finds these cars, some I know well and others that I've never heard of, and he buys them. He buys them for resale or he'll sell them for someone else. He'll restore them. He does a lot of different things. He is amazing in what he can tell you about cars and obscure cars, cars that I've never heard of. He usually uh, does research on the design of a car and why certain features were the way that they are. If you ever want to know why cars have big fins, uh, why cars in a certain era had big fins, he can tell you. If you want to know why there was a, a limited number of one kind of Ferrari or Lamborghini or whatever it was made, He can tell you those things. Though some of the cars in our history would make us wonder, uh, like for instance, my wife one time uh, just had to have an AMC Pacer. And and I found a good deal on one. That was before Craigslist. That was, back then Craigslist was called on the side of the road. And <clears throat> I uh, actually was trying to buy a car for her that was economical. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't economical. It did have four wheels. It was the ugliest automobile that has ever been made. You say, I don't know what that is. Well, don't do it now, but look it up when you get home, the AMC Pacer. Every car and design has a purpose or had a purpose down to the smallest detail. Now, having said that, To a vastly greater degree, we, that is you and me, were created, designed, and made with the finest of detail. And there is someone who knows the reason for every one of our details. Our designer knows how we were made. Our designer knows why we have certain specifics in our bodies that he didn't put in the bodies of other people, and he knows why other people have certain specifics 
that we may not have. It's a matter of detail by the designer. The designer is the creator. The creator is God. You'll recall from two weeks ago when we had our first message, the title of that message was Dust and Bone. I hope that it is still on the archives of our, uh, of our, at our website if you want to watch that. And if it's not on the archives, uh, just in the saying, I know that the people that make sure that it gets there will get it there. But <clears throat> that was titled Dust and Bone. And I made this statement that you have to begin with creation because if you do not start with answering to a creator, then you do not have to answer to anything except the shifting sands of the morals and the mores of society. And so there is a creator, and that creator is God. He is our designer. He designed every little detail of us. Psalm 139 and verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. And I'm going to be very kind in my sermon today, but could I just say this, that if the people at Planned Parenthood really believed this right here, they would not sell baby parts. That is not a political statement. That is a moral statement. If we believe in a creator and we believe in divine design, then we do not believe that baby parts are like canned goods to be sold on the market. We do not make jokes about it and so on. I wrote this sermon long before that particular issue came to light in the news. But do not lose in this sermon the reality of the wrongness of that. And in fact, I think this sermon will help you to see the strength of what I'm saying. To even have a chance to come together on what the Bible says about our being, we must first admit that God knew us before we were born. We're not a surprise to God. He knew who we would be. He knows who we have become. Our value or validity did not begin at birth. We were viable in the eyes of God while hidden from everyone else. And let me tell you what I know about God and me. And what I know about God and me, you can know about God and you. For instance, God knew my parts. He knew my parts before my parts were parts. God knew my parts. Now you're about to see an amazing picture. I want you to look at this picture up here. Isn't that an amazing picture? I was born on March the 6th, 1950. 
My birthday was only five months ago. If you missed it, I'm still accepting gifts. I am the last of nine children, the baby of the family. Here's a picture of my family shortly after I was born. I'm the adorable baby in white in my mother's lap. I appear to be singing. I want to identify the remainder of these fine uh, people for you. To your, I guess to your right, to your right, that young man standing is my brother Wayne. Wayne is now 78 years old. Next to him, the tall lady, is my sister Jean. Jean has a hard time remembering where she is today, but she is a sweet heart. And while we were in Nashville, we went by to see Jean. Jean is in her early 80s. Beside her is my sister Delois. Delois, I don't know how old she is, but she's pretty old. The girl standing, the little shorter girl standing behind, beside her is, I believe that's Aideen, my sister Aideen. Aideen is a wonderful lady, a godly lady, the most gullible person that I've ever known in my life. Down to the front and to the left, the, the girl who looks like she is really unhappy. You see that girl that looks like she's mad at the world? The reason that she looks like that is because she's mad at the world. (laughs) Not really. That's my sister, Pat. Then there's my mother holding that beautiful, beautiful baby boy. What a handsome child that little boy was. And there was never a day in his life when he didn't just get better from that day right there. The lady with the flower on sitting next to me who appears to be have just gotten married, had just gotten married, that's my oldest sister, Margie. Margie is, I think, 85 years old today. She married that man sitting next to her. His name was Raymond. He worked for A&P. Do you remember the old grocery store, A&P? He worked for the A&P. He was a produce manager for A&P and worked his way up to be a store manager. Next to him is my father. And in my father's lap is my brother who passed away, the brother who's nearest to me. My father's name was Fountain, like water fountain or fountain pen. My father's name was Fountain L. Ray Sr. You would think to yourself that no one would ever name a child after a man like that, but they did. They named that boy Fountain L. Ray Jr. And for some strange reason, when he had a child, he named him Fountain L. Ray III. And for yet another strange reason, now that that man has a child, he has a Fountain IV. There have been four fountains spring forth out of our family. And then the little girl on the end, oh, I hope she's watching this. She loves to watch the online broadcast. That's my sister, Tawanda. You know the movie Fried Green Tomatoes where they've got the girl, Tawanda, that, that 
backs up and rams the car because she's got insurance. Trust me, all people named Tawanda are like that. That is my sister, Tawanda. So there I am. Keep the picture up. Maybe two months old, newly discovered by all of these people sitting around me. Now, they didn't know anything about me before I was born other than that I was on my way. They didn't know whether I was a boy or a girl. They didn't know if I had all my fingers or or toes or would have all my fingers and toes. They didn't know whether my eyes would be blue or brown, though they assumed they would be brown because everybody else in the family had brown eyes. They only knew that I was on the way. However, God, my creator, my maker, knew everything about me before they knew anything about me. He knew my gender. He knew my features. He knew my future. Everything before anyone else even knew that I was on the way. Why? Because God knew the wonder of me. The psalmist had an interesting way of referencing his formation. He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. First, I was made with a a certain reverential fear of God. My formation and yours was not the accidental work of an evolutionary process. Now, if you need for your your being to be the accidental work of an evolutionary process because you're not happy with who you are, have been made, then that would be up to you. But I'm here to tell you, that's not how you got here. Your formation and mine was a made by a singular God who knew us. We didn't <clears throat> come into this world haphazardly, mistakenly, or unintentionally. I was fearfully, reverently made. Not only that, but the God who made me is wonderful. I may not be wonderful, but God who made me is wonderful. And could I say this? The formula of the parts and pieces that made me, that God wanted for me, those too are wonderful because a wonderful God made a wonderful being. And anything that's not wonderful about me is my fault, not his fault. All of us are wonderful in our creation. There is nothing about us that was not there or is not there by design from the beginning, even those things that appear to be our flaws. And we'll see more about that later on. Let me just say that while we may have flaws in our bodies, there are no flaws in his design. No flaws in the design of God. But as for you and me, we are wonderfully made, and we must revere how and who God made us. We are wonderful. And the reason that we are wonderful is because God made us wonderful. So we're going to have a little self-help session right now, and I'd like for you to say collectively with me, we are wonderful. Say it, please. We are 
wonderful. Now you know that every time I ask you to do something like that, you always do it with a little Minnie Mouse voice. I want you to do it with a good, strong voice. Together, we are wonderful. There are many who are watching through live streaming. I hope that you said that because you are wonderful. There is nothing that is wrong with us saying that we are wonderful because God made us. That is the wonder of me, but there's something else, the weaving of me. Now, I'm about to tell you something that if you really believe the Bible, this, as Brother Lester Roloff used to say, will turn your mule loose in the corn crib. This is exciting news. This is really cool. I want you to look at verse 15 of our text. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You see those two words, intricately woven? Those words mean needlework. We are God's needlework. I am God's needlework. Now, that's not haphazard. That is a very finely made detail. Every fine detail of my life is God's needlework. Now, I have asked five people to join me down front. I want you to come right now. I asked you to earlier to, to come and join me, and I, I want you to come and stand right now and just stand across the front in no particular order and cover up the, uh, uh, the communion sign, if you will. That's how I want you to stand and uh, move on down just a little bit to cover up the communion sign. Now, here are five wonderful people of this church. These are members of this church. I've not asked them to say anything. I won't ask them to say anything, but I want you to look at them. Each one of them, what is true of me is true and true of you is true of each of them. Here is a college student. This is her last Sunday to be with us for a while because she's moving away to Pensacola where she will continue her college in Pensacola. She's been a couple of years in college here. She's a wonderful, wonderful person. She is a a person that God made exactly who God wanted her to be. This is exactly who God wanted her to be. Now, I don't know everything about her, but I know a lot about her. God knows everything. Not only that, God designed everything before there was a you. God knows you from the beginning. Now, down here, we have my friend who is much taller than me. I said I would, no, stand up. I said I wasn't going to ask you to say anything, but how tall are you? Six foot. Six foot four. He's six foot four. Can you notice that he is taller than me? Can you notice that he's younger than me? You know what else? We're different colors. God knows that. Yeah, we are. You're my brother by another mother, as you understand. So <clears throat> we, are, we are different colors. God didn't make a mistake with me. I wasn't supposed to have been his color, and he wasn't supposed to have been mine. I want to tell you something. In the needlework of God, God needleworked you together and said, someday he's going to be 6'4". 
I'm going to make his skin dark, much different than Randy Ray's skin is going to be. I'm going to make his skin dark. But God made you. God made me. God made you like that beautiful college student down there. Then I have this guy right here. I wasn't going to introduce everybody, but I do want to introduce this guy because this guy's name is what most of you are when you listen to me preach. His name is Sleepy Bear. Correct? That is literally his name. Was it your grandfather or grandmother who would be the full-blooded Blackfoot? Your father? Okay. Father, full-blooded Blackfoot Indian. Now, it was not a surprise to God that Sleepy Bear would come along. Sleepy Bear is exactly who God made him to be. This is my friend who works at FSU. I won't tell you his job at FSU because we're online and I don't want everybody trying to get in touch with you because you have a kind of job where people really want to get in touch with you. But he has a very responsible position at Florida State University. God made this man exactly who God wanted him to be. There was no issue. There was nothing. He is considerably different from anybody up here. Everyone up here is considerably different from one another. He was beautifully and wonderfully designed. He is God's needlework. Now, this lady right here is a wonderful lady. She's my friend. If you've come to the Passion Play, and most of you have been to the Passion Play, and some of you are watching online have been to the Passion Play, this is the wife of Jesus. Interesting, huh? Didn't know that Jesus had a wife. Now, she is beautifully made. Could I tell you this? That when she was fearfully and wonderfully made, her needlework included quite severe hearing impairment. She has a, what we would call a certain level of being deaf, but it's a hearing impairment. Now, she can hear me because she wears aids that help her a little bit, and because I have a big voice that she can hear, right? That's right. But you would look at her and you'd say, wow, I never thought that. She just looks perfect. And she is. Because God designed that hearing as well. You say, how can that be? I'm going to tell you in just a moment. But I'm here to tell you that God has woven each of us. Thank you so much. You can go back to your seat. Thank you very, very much. A great help. God has woven each of us. We are the needlework of God. We're not accidental. This is not something that just happened. God knew our parts before our life began. I think he knew my parts from the very beginning of my being conceptualized. We talk about being conceived. What about being conceptualized? God knew my parts long before I was conceived. When I was conceptualized, God knew me. I was conceptualized in the mind of God before I was conceived. God would make me wonderful and intricate because God loves the work of me. Have you ever said to somebody, (laughs) you're a piece of work? Or said about somebody else, man, that dude's a piece of work. Well, we're all a piece of work. 
God loves the work of me. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. There it is right there. God knew my unformed substance, every piece of me. God knew before they were formed. You say, well, how is that and why is that? Well, because of what John chapter 1 and verse 3 says. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Without him, wasn't, there was nothing made that was made. You say, but preacher, isn't that talking about yet a creation? Yes, it is talking about creation, you beautiful creation of God, you. It's talking about your creation and my creation and all of creation. It's very important for us to know that God knew our parts before our parts were ever formed. We are not a mistake. There is nothing about us that is a mistake. There is no issue, and and there is nothing in our lives that is not known of Him. He didn't give you parts for someone else, and He didn't give someone else your parts. You are His needlework. The God who made you did so with perfect precision. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4 says, His work is perfect. He has perfect work. Not only did God know my parts, but God knew my person. God knows my parts, and God knows my person. I'm not just a a big bag of parts. I'm not just random parts. I'm a person of parts. And God knows and knew my person of parts. He knew me and knows me personally. Now, you may have come to church today and looked around, and maybe you're new here, and you say, I don't really know any of these people. And some of you who have come here a long time would say, I don't know all of these people. Who is that lady over there, and who is that man over there? And, and that's understandable, but I will tell you this. God knows all of us personally. He knows our parts, and He knows our person. You are not anonymous or unimportant to God. You are very important to God, and you are a person to God, an important person to God. That's vital that you understand that. God knew my person before I was a person. And he knows me today. Let me tell you who he knows. First of all, he knows my family. God knows what family I was born to. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are an heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. How did I end up in this family? Well, God knew how you got there. As you've already seen, I was born to a family of six girls and three boys. The sister who was sitting next to me in my mother's lap only lived in the house with us for a couple of months before she got married and moved away. And when I came to school, I realized that my family was different than other families. I didn't know, by the way, that adorable boy hanging from the tree. That's me too. When I went to school, 
I realized that my family had a lot of people in it. I didn't know my family had a lot of people in it. But they started going around the room and talking about family. And this person had one brother, and this person had a brother and a sister. And the biggest family in the room was my family. And it shocked me. I didn't didn't realize that. And I'll tell you this. I didn't realize that we grew up kind of poor, not impoverished, but kind of poor. We'd, if, look, if we were living today, we'd get a lot of stuff. My family would get a lot of stuff. Every one of us have a cell phone. None of us, none of us would have to really work, you know. I mean, because we just, we had a lot of people, and my dad my dad didn't make, listen, if there was a poverty line back then, I'm sure we were below the poverty line because we just didn't have much stuff. And I didn't realize that we were kind of poor until I saw that my friends got new bicycles. And I never had a, a bicycle. I, later on in life, I got one from my cousin because he got a new one on Christmas Day and they brought his bicycle to me. I didn't realize that that people got baseball bats and gloves that were brand new from the store. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know they made, I'm a lefty. I didn't know they made gloves for left-handers because I always played with somebody else's glove in the neighborhood and I would catch the ball with, with their glove. They were right-handed, so they had a glove on the left hand. I would catch the ball, put the ball up under and throw the ball in. I didn't realize that, but God knew what family I was, was born in. Seeing a new baseball right out of the box was amazing to me. I don't believe I ever ate a steak until I was in my teens. My dad, my dad had a sixth grade education, and my mother had an eighth grade education or a ninth grade education. I had never heard of anybody's parents going to college. I'd never heard of that until well into my school years. I just thought teachers went to college. I'd never heard of others going to college. But you know what? All of this time, God knew my family. You were born to a unique family. God knows every detail of the family to which you were born and the circumstances of how you came to be who you are and where you are. Your life is not a comedy of errors. It is something that is, is to be led by the hand of God. And when we are not led by the hand of God or those around us are not led by the hand of God, there is conflict and there is pain, but God knows us and God knows our family. You know something else? God knows your story. You have a family and you got a story. Psalm twenty-two, ten: on you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Isaiah 49 and 1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. All of us have a story. There are things that few, if any, people really know about us. There are things that we keep kind of private. We heard Terry Samples preach a couple of Sundays about ministering from our scars, a wonderful, a beautiful, a powerful message. 
We all have scars on our bodies, and, and those scars tell stories. I have a scar somewhere about, oh, up, I don't know, about right here on my left leg. If I was wearing regular socks instead of over the calf, it'd be right at the top of my sock line. That scar started out down uh, just near my Achilles, down at the the very bottom of my foot. And as I grew older, the, the scar moved up. I got that scar because I was riding on the back of, and, and I, I don't know exactly how to say this, but it was some sort of a, a harrow, a forked kind of a thing that was pulled behind a tractor. And uh, my cousin was giving all of us a, a ride on that harrow. And we all sat there. And later, uh, and, and as we were riding, I drug my feet. And one of those uh, tines from that harrow went, boom, right into my leg. Oh, it was a mess. I later learned a lesson. First lesson I learned was never ride on anything that, is, uh, uh, that, that could hurt you like that. And secondly, I, I learned never to ride on anything that's pulled behind a tractor except a hay wagon. That scar tells a story. You probably couldn't see that scar now because it was, I was a little boy when that happened. I have another scar on my arm that I got from falling off a horse. When I was in my early 20s, I fell off a horse. That's a long story as well. But I've got scars. God knows all of my story and all of my scars. God knows me not only from birth, but he knows me from before my birth. God knows the minute details of our seeming imperfections. He knows how our mind and body reacts to certain stimuli. He knows how our mind and body reacts to certain challenges. God knows if we were born with a passive or an aggressive nature. God knows our story. And because of that, there is no challenge in life that should be addressed apart from the wisdom and guidance and leadership of God, our Creator, who knows every single thing about us, including our story. There's a lot going on in the world today where people are trying to fix what's wrong with them without acknowledging that there is a God who knows their story. God knows everything about us. I'm pretty certain that if we seek the mind of God and study His Word and try to live according to His will and so on, we'll come to much different conclusions than much of society is reaching today. Society is reaching a lot of conclusions that have nothing to do with God, and clearly so. And you know where that started, don't you? That started by failing to acknowledge that we have a creator God and giving Him the glory for our creation. It goes back to dust and bone. And if you don't believe in the formation from the hand of God of the dust and bone that became man and woman, then everything is on the move for you, as I told you a couple of weeks ago. And that, what that simply means is that everything is still on the move. So there is no real absolute, not even the Word of God, because God didn't make you if you believe, don't believe that He made you. And so how can you say that His Word is absolute if you're not an absolute creation of God? God knew my parts, God knew my person, and God knew my purpose. The God who knew my parts before they were formed and has known my person, in fact designed all of me, certainly has a purpose for my life. 
It's simply not possible. Listen to this. I want you to take this in. It is simply not possible to be designed by a creator God for no purpose. It's just not possible. You, you can't be made by a creator God for no purpose. God has a purpose and a plan for every life. And when we, uh, when, uh, why then do people wander aimlessly through life seeming to have no purpose? Well, it's because that they have not been born again to find their purpose. I've said this to you many times. I want to say it to you again. We are born with a purpose and born again to find that purpose. If you've never written anything down that I say, you ought to write that down and you ought to keep that in a good place. We are born with a purpose and we are born again to find that purpose. To be born again is not only to gain heaven and eternal life. Not only is it to have life more abundantly on this earth, it's to establish a relationship with God whereby you can find what His purpose is for you in this life. This is something that we spend a lifetime in doing. You say, well, Preacher, have you found God's purpose for you? Well, I certainly have, and I continue to find His purpose for me. His purpose didn't stop when He called me to preach. God has a purpose for me daily and for you daily. Now, there's two truths that I I can tell you about the purpose for which you were created. Let me tell you what those truths are. First of all, you were created to do God's will. Okay? You were. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, God said to Jeremiah. Romans 9.10, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, the, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Galatians 1.15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, God has a purpose for all of us. You will be at your optimum satisfaction and joy when you come to appreciate that God has a purpose for you and you come to pursue, to live, to pursue what God's purpose is for you. When you know that you're in the will of God, the ups and downs of life are not as drastic because you know that there's a God who is in charge of you. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, Philippians 4.11, not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. When we have our purpose, we can say what Paul said. I do not know of any other way to come to this other than to believe in the God who made you and believe that He made you and me for a purpose and seek to live God's purpose in our lives. Every detail of your life and mine, every detail of your life and mine is, has a purpose. You say, okay, then what is the purpose? Here it is. Here's the payoff. This is the final pitch. 
it's, it's three and two. I'm going to bring one right across the plate. All you got to do is keep your eye on the ball. I'm not going to throw it real fast because I can't. I'm just going to bring it straight on the plate. You sit back until it gets there. And when it gets there, don't get out front. You'll miss it. Don't swing late. You'll miss it. I want you to meet this truth exactly, exactly where it comes. I want you to meet this truth. Here is your purpose. Everyone's purpose. Everyone is born for this purpose. Everyone is born again for this purpose to bring glory to God. Boom. That's it. We're all born to bring glory to God. Now we must address those matters which seem to be imperfect in our lives. There is no question that people are born with what we might call deformities, mutations, conditions, issues, hearing impairment. People are born with those issues. Some are born with debilitating diseases and other such things. Medical science has made it possible to remedy certain birth problems and to cure some diseases and conceal some issues that people might have with their bodies. But the question is in whether or not the healing or the concealing or whatever it may be glorifies God. We were born with a purpose to glorify God. Well, I don't see how my this or their that can glorify God. See, therein lies the issue. You're trying to get God to see it the way you see it instead of you seeing it the way God sees it. I want to read you a little play. It's in the book of Acts. It's really not a play, but I'm going to make it a play. It's about a three-act play. Act number one, Acts chapter three and verse two. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Okay, there's act one. There he is laying at the gate. Act two, Acts chapter three and verse six. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Oh. Act 3. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly were utterly all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's and when Peter saw it he addressed the people men of Israel why do you wonder at this or why do you start stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You hear what he's saying? He said, you don't understand. I want you to understand. I want you to understand that the God of Abraham, 
the God of your Isaac, the God of your Jacob, the God of our fathers, the, the God of our Jesus, that, that God glorified our Jesus Christ through this man who was lame from birth. Here was a man who by divine design could not walk. Can I get a witness? <clears throat> God gave him the ability to walk and then uh, uh, to walk and, and this miracle. For what purpose? That God might be glorified and Jesus might be magnified. The lesson here, and I know I'm in overtime, but I've got to finish this, and hopefully you're really interested. The lesson here is simple and clear. Any efforts that we might make to cure an issue in the body must have the blessing of God who should receive glory from the cure regardless, regardless of the intelligence, skill, wisdom, experience, or whatever. It is always God who gets the glory. Paul reminded the church of this very thing. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, two things and I'm finished today. First of all, Listen carefully. I'm thankful for physicians. Both my medical doctor and my dentist are members of this church. They're outstanding in what they do, and they're wonderful people, and I trust them so much. However, here's what I know. I know that God blessed them with the intellect and skill that they have, and regardless of what they do for me or to me, God has to give the increase. God has to bless it. Here's the second thing. The curing of a disease can be and should be glorifying to God. The denying of the Creator simply cannot be. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I want you to hear it, please. Being the baby of the family, a poor family, being the baby of a poor family, having six sisters, I am sure that there was plenty of walking around the house in my sister's shoes when I was a little guy. Now, let me say this. If any of you put on Facebook that today from the pulpit, Pastor Ray admitted to being a cross-dresser, <laughs> I'm going to report you to Facebook, I'm going to defriend you, and then... I'm going to get an anonymous identity and write stuff about you. But you know how that is. Six sisters, you're the baby of the family. Oh, he's cute. He's so cute. Look at him. He's got his feet in my shoes. <laughs> there are pictures somewhere. There are pictures. Thank the Lord I don't have them. There are pictures somewhere of a dress that my mother put on me because she had a lot of baby clothes laying around and we were poor so I wore baby clothes from my sisters. I know that's too much information, and I know that's a little creepy. Since then, I, I have learned to shop at Talbot's, and my, oh, never mind. Here's what I'm saying to you. Listen to me. My gender and the purpose of my gender was established by God. He created me to the very detail of every part, including those parts. The same is true for you. 
To deny your gender and seek to be someone else is to deny the point and purpose of your creation and who designed and made you by detail, who did the needlework for your life. And could I say this, and I, 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 I've been pretty nice. That's not brave. It's an insult to your creator is what it really is. Very simply, that cannot be glorifying to God. It just can't. Christian people are, are losing on this issue And the reason that we are losing on this issue is because we don't know what we believe or why we believe, and and we are trying our best to be palatable in society. Could I say this to you? That principle was established long ago in the epistles where we were told to speak the truth in love. I do. if, If I hated or disliked, or refused to love or care about people who were not exactly like me, then I wouldn't like any of you, because none of you are exactly like me. We were designed to be different, but we were designed to glorify God, not to deny who He made us. I don't have to hate you to disagree with you. God doesn't hate me, but there is certainly a lot in my life that can and meet with his disapproval. We must celebrate who we are and do our very best to glorify God in who we are today and every day. We must live to glorify God in who we are. I wish I didn't have this in my life. There are plenty of things I wish I didn't have in my life, but I've got to glorify God in who I am. To be real honest with you, I wish that I didn't have such a tendency to gain weight. I can gain weight driving. I wish I didn't have that tendency. Some of you are so thin, you have to take two steps before your britches move. I love that about you but that's not who God made me. I go back to what Dr. Lee Robertson said to me when I graduated from seminary and was going to pastor my first church and went in and sat down and said, Dr. Robertson, do you have any advice for me? He was the president of the seminary and the pastor, and he was was an icon. And he looked at me and he said, Randy, you're big and you're loud. Use it! That's it. Let's pray. That's who God made me. Big and loud. So I use it. Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We are his needlework.